Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Hello, this is Adam Carswell, the host of Dream Chasers, and you're tuned in to the How Do They Do It Real Estate Podcast. If you like this show, first of all, you have phenomenal taste. Second of all, if you want to listen to another next level show like this, just click our link in the description and smash that subscribe button. It would be an honor for us to enrich your mind, body, and soul as well. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we have Jason Porter as our guest, and he has been investing in real estate since 1990, started out with a no money down real estate course, and his first deal was a live and flip. And he, since then, he's grown his family and lived in several houses that they flipped and continued to build up his cash flow in their personal lives. He's also a father of four and grandfather to multiple grandchildren, all different ages. I was just telling him how Grandparents have the best jobs. They get to spoil, get to spend all their special times with their kids and then give the kids back to the parents at nighttime. (laughs) really do. It's the best for sure. And so he's also produced a one-hour workshop to explain the basics of his methods. And it's available now as well. If you guys are interested, we'll also include that in the show notes. So Jason, thank you so much for being here on our show today. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. So welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So Jason, can you also share with our listeners a little bit more about your background, how you got started with real estate and a little bit more about what you're focused on now? Okay. It can be a very long story. I'll try to keep it short. I grew up in a home with a father that was a spendthrift. He did very well. He was a high income earning lawyer, produced a lot of money, but he spent it before he made it and just had very poor money management habits and I, so I just grew up in a home that didn't have assets. He never invested in anything. He would um, he'd get rid of the money before he got it. But at 16 years old, I moved to Brazil and I lived with a man who was 43 at the time and essentially retired and came to find out that he was a real estate investor, that he had purchased a lot of property and or traded for the property from his line of work. He was a, a well digger, who dug wells for water, and he would trade and buy property. And then he would sell that property on contract. So he would basically own or finance as much property as possible. So he had all of this income coming in that allowed him to live a lifestyle that my parents didn't enjoy and allowed him to basically retire and move to Brazil and and be a missionary for our church. And it just kind of baffled me how he could live a life of without getting up early and going to work the way my dad did. You know, my dad missed a lot of our ball games because he was providing for us. And he did a very good job of providing for all seven of his kids. We didn't want for anything, but just opened my eyes to a different way. And then I married a a beautiful Samoan woman who grew up in Fullerton, in Fullerton, California, not far from you. Not very far at all. And I had to go to Samoa to ask permission to marry her. Her parents were in Samoa. So down there, I promised that I would take good care of Mona and I lied. To be honest, I was, we were renting. I was going to school, framing houses and doing finished carpentry and building cabinets while going to school as much as I could, but we were not living a proper life. And I really felt bad. I felt guilty. And one night 
I was embarrassed to go to bed at the same time as my wife because I was failing her. She didn't mind. She loved me and we didn't have any arguments over it or anything. But, um, but just internally, I knew I could do better. I knew I should do better. And I stayed up late and watched an infomercial from a guy named Carlton Sheets. And his infomercial was called No Money Down Real Estate Investing. And at that point, I put into the universe, this is before I knew the law of attraction. I've, I've trained for a couple of years under Jack Canfield, and I'm a big believer is in the power of our thoughts and words. But I started really thinking a lot about, man, is it possible to get property for no money down? Wouldn't it be cool if I could get property for no money down? Regardless of how bad the property is, I know I could fix it because I've been in construction since I was 12. But anyway, I just didn't think I could afford the course. I knew I couldn't afford the course. I called and hung up on them when they told me how much money it was. And as is the facts of the law of attraction, what you think about, you get. So you have to be very careful not to think about what you don't want, but instead spend your time on the things that you really do want in life. And it's not magic. Those things that you want in life are around you all the time. It's just we're not noticing them when we're focused on what we don't want. We tend to notice whatever we focus on. Well, I, with my wife in a Salvation Army type store, uh, it's called Deseret Industries. It was a, just a secondhand store it's where we had to shop for our children. We were so broke. And I noticed on the bookshelves, there was a Carlton Sheets course and it was five bucks and I could afford that. And I bought that and I digested it. And within about 90 days, we were house hacking on our first live-in flip. And from there, you know, I've gone from single family residential to resort development and raw land development, really name it. I've, I've done pretty much everything in real estate and it's been my passion. My focus, though, for the last 10 years has been tax distressed properties. So what I really focus on is a foundation of investing on tax liens and tax foreclosures, tax deeds. Wow. So I want to kind of go back a little bit to your past because the story that you had just told was very similar and you basically lived a rich dad, poor dad lifestyle. And so where you had the father who was a successful lawyer, but didn't have the financial education that when after you moved into Brazil, you lived with another family and that family and the father there was investing in real estate and doing all different types of things with his money and investments. And so it's so interesting that story kind of played out for you in your background and your history. Yeah. When I read Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I thought, (laughs) you wrote my life. And (laughs) interestingly, I actually, I believe in mentorships. I believe that if you want to become better, find somebody better than you and engage them. And you got to spend 10,000 hours to become good at anything. And it either, they're either going to be your hours or somebody else's hours. And I believe in using somebody else's hours. It gets me where I want to go faster. And so I engaged a guy named Keith Cunningham to teach me about about money. He trains CFOs. He's a CFO, CEO, mentor. And come to find out, Keith Cunningham is the rich dad. So I've actually been mentored by Kiyosaki's rich dad, which is pretty cool. (laughs) Wow. So you had two rich dad coaches in your (laughs) life. (laughs) I did. I did. Duke Cowley is the one I lived with and and I love and respect him. He's passed away now, but his wife, Alice and uh, the Cowley companies in Arizona are just wonderful people and still very, very active in real estate, investing and holdings. And they're just wonderful people. 
Can you share with us a little bit, because you had lived, you had that background, you had that experience, you know, you lived with family and you saw how they managed their finances and investments and what they were able to achieve to get to the lifestyle that they were able to choose how they wanted to live. And then throughout your life after that, up until the point where you made that decision to want to change and do something more, provide a better life for your wife, how did that kind of shape over time for you? Because during that period, it was a little bit experience, but you perhaps put it in your back pocket for now until you're ready at that time. So how did that kind of, how did that journey happen for you? You know, when I lived with the Cowleys, they didn't talk about money. They never taught me. But as children, we're, we learn the way you should actually learn. You learn by immersion therapy, right? You're in it. And I'm living in this home with people who talked about, hey, what are we going to do with that building? My ears are, what do you mean you own a building? Who owns a gas station? They had a lot of gas stations. Who owns a pizza hut? Not the restaurant, the building, the pizza hut's in. Who does that? I didn't realize that normal people, people I didn't even know were wealthy, because the father, he got up every morning at 5 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, and was out the door. He came home with greasy hands from working hard, and I had no idea that he had the wealth that he had. He didn't live that kind of life. My father, on the other hand, who generated a lot of cash, but he had to trade time for dollars, right? So he would trade his time and get get a lot of dollars in exchange. But the moment he didn't give his time, he got nothing. Whereas Duke Cowley, he invested and allowed him to have a freedom of time. He was earning money. Money was coming in even when he wasn't spending that time. So as a young kid, 16 and 17 in his house, you know, I, I really started to kind of wonder, how does he do this and why does he do it? It wasn't until later on that I began to understand really how it worked. You know, I give thanks for my parents. They went through some marriage issues and split when I was 12, 11 and 12. And I had to get a job to help out with my mom. There was a lot of stress in the home. And my older brother gave me a job framing houses. He was a foreman for a framing crew and, and basically lied to the general contractor, told him that I was 16. So he paid me under the table and I turned 13 that summer, but I started really being involved in construction as a young kid. And then I did it all the way through university. So I knew that if I could just get a house for free or cheap, that I could fix anything. And that's really how or why Carlton Sheets course resonated to me, because I had no clue how to do it from the Cowleys. They didn't teach me that. They just showed me that it was possible that somebody normal could end up with a lot of holdings. And that was intriguing to me. And I wanted that lifestyle, but I didn't understand how to do it until Carlton Sheets came in and said, you you can get properties without money or without credit. That changed my life. So after you got that first one down, because the hardest part was just making that first move, taking that first step, picking up that first book or resource to be able to get you to what you wanted to do. After you completed that first one, you got you made some uh, profit after that one. What did you do afterwards to continue to build it up? Because you can go two different ways, right? You could continue on this path and continue to building up and just chugging along, or you could take it and be like, oh, that was great. And then just move on down the existing path that you existing right. path that you currently know and are accustomed to. So why did you decide to go the other route? And how did you do that? Well, number one, I needed another place to live. 
because we sold the place that we were, we house hacked, right? We were living in it, fixing it. And once it sold, I had to get another place. And this is a, this is another thing of the law of attraction. We meet the right people in our lives. If we're open to it, the people are all around us that, that can change our lives, that can give us direction. Well, the man who sold me the first home, his name was Mel Stewart. He sold me the first home on a zero down lease option. I was, I had probably knocked a hundred doors of couple hundred doors and basically said, you know, can I buy your home for free? And it's not a very good sales pitch, but eventually I just got so frustrated. I bore my heart out to this older man and he was probably in his seventies at the time. And I, I knocked on his door and I said, Mr. Stewart, my name is Jason Porter. I want to buy your home on 100 West and you're asking 53. I'll pay you full price. I just can't buy it for two years, but I'm a carpenter and I'm handy. And it needs some roof patching and it needs some carpentry work. And if you'll let me rent it, I'll rent it for $500 a month. I'll move my family in. I'm paying $550 a month. So that'll leave me an extra $50 of free money for me to be able to put into paint and to things to fix your home. And then I'll sell it and pay you off before the two-year mark. And he said, you're talking about a zero down lease option. He actually used the phrase that Carlton Sheets taught me. And I didn't think anybody else had ever heard of a zero down lease option. And I said, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And he said, well, hold on, son. And he went to his file cabinet. He pulled out a piece of paper and he said, let's just fill in the blanks. He filled in the blanks, turned it around for me to sign. And I walked out of his house, having never been inside the house. The first house I ever bought, I'd never been in it. And I buy up most of my properties sight unseen by me personally. I, I get boots on the ground. I look through the windows. I, I knew what it was, <laughs> but I had never been inside. Anyway, got the first one on the zero down lease option, sold it and pocketed let's see, it was $7,940 at closing. So to me, that was so much money. I couldn't imagine having $8,000 in my hand. And I broke down and cried in the parking lot because I knew that day God had answered a prayer. I needed, I really wanted to change my life. And it's not that I want to be rich. I really don't care. I live a pretty basic lifestyle, but I love having the flexibility to do the things I want to do and serve the way I want to serve and give the way I want to give. And it's not that I'm a saint. I enjoy having fun and traveling the world. I've been around the world many times. I like to travel in luxury, but I don't collect stuff. I collect real estate. I love real estate. It's my, I've got pictures of you know surfing and family up here, but right above me is a surfboard. And I travel around the world to surf and I try to get real estate everywhere I go. And I try to get real estate in places that make me want to take a board or, or do those kind of things. So it's my passion. It's my game. Anyway, when I sold the first one, I went back to Mr. Stewart and I said, you know, I need to get another house. You wouldn't happen to know of anybody who's got one for sale. And he was liquidating his portfolio. Now, I didn't even really know what a portfolio was. He said, son, I've got over 20 properties that I'll do the same deal with you. On. What was so the just, time period between the first time when you first bought that house to the a year, a little over a year. And we just parlayed the cash into the next one and the next one and the next one. And all the first deals I did, I was very lucky in that I had a Mr. Stewart. You know, once I started generating from 8,000 to 23,000 on my second one to, you know, this is 1992, $23,000 was, was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And my full-time income was $18,800. And in one deal, I made 23 grand and I made more than my yearly income in a deal. And it just started changing my life. We ended up wanting to stop for a while and understand business. So we sold everything and moved to, to Samoa. 
my wife's country of origin. And we built the first surf resort in that country, a place called Salani Se'engalu or Salani Surf Resort. And we built huts and surfers paid us to come from around the world and surf there. And I give thanks for my three years in Samoa. It was it was a time for me to learn business because there's a lot more to real estate, managing a real estate portfolio than just finding a good deal. And I did not have a study PE. So I, I had no business <laughs> background. My dad didn't teach me anything about business. And Mr. Cowley taught me what was possible, a lifestyle that I wanted to have, but he didn't teach me how to run a business. I needed to figure that out on my own. And I got a PhD down in a foreign country where if I screwed up, your money goes a lot further in a foreign country. That's why I went there because I figured, well, I have limited resources. I can go to Samoa and get four times on my dollar. And you know, an average wage of an employee there was at the time $60 US a month. Well, I could screw up and absorb some of those mistakes. Whereas if, if I did that in the United States, it was going to be difficult. So we moved back to the United States and I got back into what I love, which is real estate investing and speaking. I've been speaking at real estate investment conferences, entrepreneurial conferences since 1993. So I've done a long time. I took a three-year hiatus to go to Samoa, but I've come back. I still speak. I'm on stage every weekend, just about somewhere. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. There's a book by Dan Sullivan, The Who Not How. And so it talks a little bit about who are the people in your lives who can help you get to where, where you want to go and achieve the things that you want to achieve. For you, you had met... Mr. Sullivan, and you were able to build up your portfolio. That was the start of something great for you to be able to roll that over and continue building and building and building because he took that first chance on you. Why do you think that he was willing to give you that option and to really take a chance on someone that he had just met and help someone like yourself out? That, that, I've never been asked that before. And who, not how, I'm going to comment on that before, you know, I speak to a lot of want to be real estate investors and I speak to a few actual real estate investors, but honestly, most of the people who go to a seminar in a hotel are wanting to learn to do something that they haven't done before, or they haven't done really well before, and they want to become better at it. And unfortunately, if I could pick one thing that is kind of the downfall of an audience, they default to how. Just show me how to do it and I'll go do it. No, you won't. Look, to figure out how to do something, well, you can YouTube it. You can Google it, but that's not going to make you do it. There's so much more behind actually doing something than knowing how to do it. I mean, we all know how to lose weight less and exercise more. We all know how to 
drive a car without getting into an accident, but we don't do exactly what we know how to do. It's, a, it's the people that surround us that really take us where we want to go. We are pack animals and you need to make sure that you are surrounding yourself with people and content and books and thoughts that are going where you want to go, guided by people you actually would like to be like. And that assimilation into that pack, that group, that leader really makes the biggest difference because we perform best when not alone. And unfortunately, I get a lot of people who come to my classes and they're just, just show me what to do and I'll go do it. And I see them every year. They keep coming back. And what have you done so far? Well, I'm getting ready. I'm going to do it soon. And I bet there's people on this podcast who are just hoping they can learn one little thing that will make the difference and then they'll go do it. No, what you really probably need is somebody to kick you in the butt to go do it (laughs) and not just kick you in the butt, but hold your hand and show you how it, because it, look, we learn by mistakes. It's only, there's only one way to learn. We learn by mistakes, either your own or somebody else's. So it's really smart to spend time in these podcasts. It's smart to spend time in classes. I love to go to classes at hotels and conference centers. And and as long as the guru, I hate that word, but as long as the person who's giving me content is somebody I trust and would like to emulate, I want to be there and I want to learn from them. And, and, and sometimes I want to engage them and really stay close to them for a extended period of time. Maybe that's buying a weekend of their time, like I did with Jack Canfield the first time, and then buying a year of his course and and so forth. And it just bringing it, them into your circle. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing them into your circle. Harvard conducted a study that showed that the average person spends time, most of their time with people who generate within 10% of what they make. So if I were to look at your five best friends, the five people you spend most of your time with, they probably make within 10% of what you make. And if you want to have vertical movement financially, you need to expand your circle and bring people in who are living in a way you're not presently living. So Mr. Stewart, why he took a chance on me, if I had to guess, because he saw a kid that was hungry and honest. If I had stood up there and tried to BS him and use terms I didn't understand, I just flat out told the guy, here's the situation. And I'm paying $550 a month. I can't give you a down payment. I don't have it. But if I get in that house, I will fix it because I know how to do all that stuff. And I showed up you know, at his home with my work clothes on and a Leatherman on my belt. I looked like a construction worker at the time. That's what I, what I did. So he, um, he took a chance on me. He was a steel mill worker too. He worked at a, a place called Geneva Steel. And his whole life, he worked around hot molten metal. But he spent every extra dime on real estate. And then he found a kid that was hungrier than perhaps his own children. And he just kind of said, okay, this is the guy that I'm going to invest some time in. And there's part of us as humans that at a certain point, especially, you know, once we get to my age, we start thinking about, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. Who can I teach? Who can I share with? Who can kind of take over? Not just my assets, because look, I'm going to liquidate them. Those go to my kids. Those go to my grandkids. But there's stuff in this noggin of mine that I want to share with people because it's really made my life better. And I think it could make a lot of people's lives better, which is why I wrote the book right there. Real Good Deeds. Good plug, huh? (laughs) No, fantastic. (laughs) Because really, at the end of the day, you know, where you get your value from and where you want to add back is to share the knowledge. And that's why, you know, we do this podcast. That's why you've jumped on here to be a, a gracious guest to share your knowledge with our listeners on how you've been able to achieve what you've been able to do. Because 
that's how we try to help other people. You know, we want to share, we want to provide as much information as possible so that other people can take something. The the cynic is always going to say, well, there's something he's hiding something. She's hiding something. (laughs) She really wants something different. The cynic doesn't believe that you could actually just do something because it's kind of fun and good to do. And it's just really interesting to hear about people's stories and how they've been able to do it. And you'll pick up a nugget here or there, and then it'll change the trajectory. Or maybe you'll listen to somebody on the podcast or somebody that really inspired you. You reach out and a relationship, a business relationship, professional relationship has been performed, could change the trajectory of your life. Just like the same thing like you, it's keeping your eyes open, the options open, being open to possibilities out there. I would add to that, you got to get rid of fear. Because we all have ideas, right? We all have these inklings, these ideas, these notions that wouldn't it be amazing if I just could do X? And then we're given an opportunity to head in that direction. It might not be as grandiose as we had in our mind, but there's still a point where you've got to say, am I really going to do this? Am I going to write a check and actually buy that property? Am I actually going to whatever? And um, that's scary. It's really a scary time. So there's an element of, fear that you can't overcome until you actually do it. All the knowledge in the world, all the accumulation of of how-to is never going to get you across the line. That's why I I agree. It's who, not how. I, I love that, that you said that today, because somebody needs to be on the other side saying, jump, I got you. This is a good one. This is a really good deal. Let's do it together. Let's partner. Let's do those types of things. I love partnerships, by the way. It mitigates your risk. So bringing people in. And I've had people say, well, partnership is a sure way to to lose a friend. And I'm knock on wood. I've never lost a friend from a partnership, uh, mainly because I partner with people who I love. But secondly, because as as the person who puts the deal together, I'd never let them lose money. I'd lose money before they did, because I'm just not going to do that to a friend. So Jason, I have a really important question to ask you as well. At your service. You've traveled many places across the world. Where is your favorite place to go surfing? Australia. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> Australia is a special place. I, I started going down to Australia to do courses on entrepreneurship and teaching classes down there. And it is such a surf culture in that country. It's just, you know, the population of Australia is minor in, in comparison to the United States. Their nature, the topography, the nature is very similar. However, you've got deserts and mountains and snow skiing and extreme heat. So it's very similar. And then you have a kind of a tenacity that's similar to the American West, kind of cowboy mentality that, hey, it's tough out here, but we're going to make it happen. And so I really fell in love with Australia when I was going down there and doing that work. And this is a, a real quick, funny surf story. I decided to surf in a place called Crescent Head and I needed to rent a board. And I asked the lady at the hotel where I could rent a board. She said, call the post office. I said, no, I don't know if you're hearing me correctly. I have a Yankee accent. So I need a surfboard not to mail something. And she said, call the post office and gave me the number. Well, the postman said, yeah, I've got boards. I'm a surf shop and a post office. So I told him what kind of board I wanted. And he said, oh, mate, I'm going to be surfing myself tomorrow morning. So I'll just leave a board underneath the, the post office. Come pick it up and come back after you're done and pay me. And the level of trust that they had that I would, one, take a board and actually two, bring it back and actually three, pay them. It was amazing how they operated in that little surf town of Crescent Head 
with just this total trust. And as a real estate investor, I'm going to recommend a book for you. It's called Doing Business at the Speed of Trust. I work with partners and investors that trust me implicitly. I trust them. We work without contract now. I mean, we started with written contracts, but they were pretty minimal. I mean, if you give me a 30-page document and expect me to sign it so that I can give you money and do a deal, if I got to hire an attorney to read that contract, you think I'm going to screw you. That's not a good partnership. You should be able to shake my hand, look me in the eye and say, let's do it. Now, we'll formalize that with a piece of paper or two and we'll both agree to it. But after we do a bunch of deals, let's just do more deals. Let's just do more deals. We don't need to get down in the minutia of of what many people call asset protection and and contract uh, law. I just don't like that stuff. So I love Australia because people still trust people there and they're really, really cool. Great surf too. Jason, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Oh gosh, there is nothing like seeing a project from concept to completion. Many people in their jobs, they work on something and they never really see the end result. They're all day long on a phone talking to somebody, setting up a sale. They're sales engineers. They don't actually close the sale or they close the sale and they don't actually see if the client actually uses things that they sold successfully. There's very few things where from beginning to end, from inception to actual completion, you are involved professionally. Even a doctor, an orthopedic surgeon replaces the knee, but he doesn't really see that knee in hyper use. Wow, I replaced the knee and look at that guy skiing again. They see the knee, they see him come back in and say, yeah, it looks good, bye-bye. But in this job, I get to go from dirt or from a nasty little shack to you know an Airbnb that fits 22 people in the lap of luxury. And it's just fun. It's fun. And when you can put cash in that with the tax savings involved, and this is really something that, that people need to understand. Look, we are going into changing times from a tax standpoint. They're talking about long-term capital gains at 40%. They're talking about taxing your wealth. We have to understand that real estate is the best way to mitigate against our tax risk. The depreciation on our long hold properties is critical. Otherwise, we're giving away our wealth every year to our government. And I love this country. I choose to live here because I love it, but I don't love it 40% of my long-term gains. In fact, they're even talking about taxing unrealized gains. I don't know if you heard that, but so taxing you before you sell it on what it's worth today. So if you tax Bitcoin at 63,000 and today it's worth 43 grand, your tax was based on something you never put in your pocket. That's a pretty crazy thing. What mitigates that risk is real estate. So all of us need to have as much holdings in tangible real estate as we can, keep it long-term, either on contract or on rent. And you're going to love that at about $10,000 less in taxes per door per year. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And if our listeners also wanted to reach out and find out more about you, what you're doing Maybe also take a look at that one-hour workshop that you've created for everyone here. Where is the best place that they can go? They can reach out. Just go to realgooddeeds.com. And then uh, there's a little form in the bottom. Fill in your information. We'll reach out to you and give you a link to the the one-hour workshop. Let me know if you want the one-hour workshop to be on tax lien and deed investing, or if you want that to just be general real estate theory and got two different packages you can do. So just put that in the comments. Give me the one on tax liens and deeds. 
I really focus more on deeds than liens. Liens is interest rate. Deeds is the property and properties make me excited. Interest rate's good, but I'd rather get a thousand percent on my money instead of 16. So. Fantastic. Well, Jason, thank you so much again. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. So good talking to you. You're a great person. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.